All right, it looks like we're live. Uh, welcome everybody to another Backcountry Show and Tell hosted by the Catamount Trail Association. Uh, tonight, we're gonna be talking about what, what to pack uh, when you go out, head out into the backcountry. We're gonna be unloading our packs and showing you what's inside and hopefully we'll all learn something. Um, before we get going, I do wanna make, make a note that this, is, uh, these, this series is sponsored and hosted by the Catamount Trail Association. Uh, the Catamount Trail Association is a um, member and donor supported organization. So I encourage you to check out our website at catamounttrail.org and learn a little bit more about what we're doing. And if you like what, we, what you see, consider becoming a member or making a contribution. All right, so why don't we go around and introduce ourselves? Amy, do you wanna go first? Tell us a little bit about your name, where you're from, uh, a little bit about your, how you got into backcountry skiing and your favorite backcountry snack. <laughs> sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my name is Amy Butler and you'll see on uh, the screen there, it says North Branch Nature Center. I'm a teacher naturalist at the North Branch Nature Center located in Montpelier, Vermont. And I have been skiing since I could walk. I grew up in central New York. I ski raced through childhood and into high school a little bit in college. And when I moved to Vermont, in, oh gosh, 1997, uh, I picked up tele-skiing. Uh, one, because the boots were way more comfortable and I was feeling a little bored with my heel being locked down. And then once I had children, it was much easier to ski with little kids with my um, heel freed and follow them through the woods. And from there, uh, I just ended up spending a lot of time in the trees and in the backcountry. So I would say as a backcountry um, teleskier, I've got 10, 10 to 12 years into it. And um, I am, I've got my, my Abbey one and wilderness first aid as well. So I'm, um, I really, really enjoy spending time way far away from the lift lines. And for the last two years, I haven't had a season's pass anywhere. So my pass has been climbing for it. <laughs> and what's your, and what do you, what's your favorite thing to eat in the backcountry? Oh, geez. Anything warm, anything warm. <laughs> my thermos, potato leek soup in a thermos is uh, definitely a favorite. Nice, awesome, thank you. Uh, Mitch, do you wanna go next? Sure. Um, also I've been skiing about the same time I've been walking, started skiing when I was little, picked up snowboarding, um, when I was seven or eight and then picked up tele skiing when I was 17 or 18 and have been doing all three ever since. So I grew up in the Adirondack. So, uh, snowshoeing with a snowboard on my back was how I got into backcountry and then got some skins and started getting out with my telemark skis and then just started acquiring the rest of the gear from there. I spend a lot of my time not super deep in the backcountry. I'm taking a lot of first timers or, or novice riders in. So we're, we're doing more day trips, light day trips. So you'll see my, my pack is mostly geared around those shorter trips. Uh, my favorite backcountry snack, because I'm not out in the woods for a really long time, is some sort of like chewy granola bar, usually uh, Cliff Bar, Lara Bar, or something like that. Yeah, if you were out longer, those would freeze up. Yep, yep. 
<laughs> Great, thank you, Mitch. Uh, Kenzie, do you wanna go next? Sure, um, I'm Kenzie. I um, am a technical sales manager and also Nordic ski department head at Outdoor Gear Exchange in Burlington, but I live in Stowe. And I have also been skiing since I could walk, but I come from a skinny ski background. So I grew up Nordic skiing and I raced also. But um, I got into backcountry um, when we would go on vacations out west with my family when I was in high school and in college. And I have been big into backcountry alpine touring for the last, you know, 10 years or so. Um, and that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. Um, you'll see in my pack that I am probably one of the most disorganized people in terms of my pack because I am always just running out the door with everything. Um, and I think one of my favorite trail snacks is pocket bacon, putting a bunch of bacon in a Ziploc bag and putting it in my pocket. It's always a nice salty treat. Awesome. Yes. One of the best snacks ever. Um, Al, do you want to go? Can you go next? Sure. Yeah. Um, Al Karam. I've been snowboarding since I was 16. Um, Snowboard instructor at Gore and then Smugs. Uh, I started splitboarding in 2014, um, just as a, another way to go out and get turns. Um, and that kind of grew into exploring what else is out there and getting into the backcountry. Um, a couple of years ago, I took my uh, um, Abby One um, and then um, also the founder of uh, Splitboard Vermont. Awesome. <clears throat> Thank you. And Neil, do you want to go? Can you go next? Sure. Uh, I'm Neil Van Dyke. Uh, I live in Stowe. Uh, my full-time job is with the Department of Public Safety. I'm the state search and rescue coordinator for Vermont and also a longtime volunteer with Stowe Mountain Rescue. Um, I started skiing a little bit later in life than most of the people here, but because I'm so much older, I've probably skied for as many years. So I kind of started in college on uh, skinning skis and then uh, moved to Stowe um, and got into alpine skiing and then eventually into uh, backcountry skiing uh, after that. So um, I spend a lot of time here kind of in the Mansfield backcountry up sky top under hill, that type of thing is sort of my, my jam for skiing, uh, Bolton as well. And my favorite backcountry country snack has got to be just Gorp. I'm just a Gorp guy. Awesome. Thanks, Neil. I'm kind of with you. I, my name's Greg Mano. I work at this Catamount Trail Association. I, I, got into, I didn't grow up skiing. Um, I didn't get into sliding on snow until college, where I initially picked up snowboarding. Um, and then about 10 years ago, I wanting to explore the backcountry, get into more backcountry skiing or backcountry exploring, I got in, I picked up skiing because at the time it seemed like a, a slightly more efficient way of getting around the backcountry uh, than snowboarding was. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I've been, as my life as a skier has been um, basically all backcountry skiing. I mean, resort, the resort has its place. It's where I, it definitely helps me. It's where I learned to ski, uh, but I'm not a good skier. And that's, and I got into backcountry skiing because you don't actually have to go ski down all that much. You get to go up a lot. So um, that's kind of where I come from. And that my, one of my favorite backcountry snacks is cookies, you know, homemade chocolate chip cookies that aren't quite fully cooked. That's the best thing when you're, you know, a couple hours into it. Um, all right, so 
Let's see. So I think next up, we're going to go around and uh, dump out our packs and show people what's inside. I did ask everybody here to kind of like pack their packs in a realistic fashion. Uh, we're not here to preach to everybody like what you should be carrying. We're here to show you what we actually carry when we head out on a tour. Um, and I'm kind of excited to learn, see what, uh, what, what's in everybody else's pack that's not in mine. So um, do, do we have any volunteers that want to go first? Do I, does the teacher have to pick? <laughs> All right. I can, uh, I can start, Greg. Oh, you're going to go Mitch? Okay. Yeah, sure. Since you, since we made a joke about it before we got started here. Um, so uh, my pack, I try to, so I'm, I'm probably 30% AT, 30% splitboard, 30% telly in the backcountry. Um, so I'm, I try to pack, I have like two packs. I've got my Dawn Patrol small 20 liter pack and then my 32 liter longer day pack. And that does most of what my life can carve out time for these days. So I, I try to pack efficiently. So I've actually started to take a lot out of my pack and I've just, I'm a gear nerd when it comes to like gadgets and things like that. So I've started to find tools that don't sit in my pack that come with me that are sports specific. Um, so I know we're doing that in the pack series, but this is something I found last year and I, I just wanted to start with this. These are the atomic bent Chatler poles, which took my multi-tool out of my pack for skiing, which is awesome. So the, the inner part of the pole actually comes out and one side has a flathead and then the other side has a posi on it. So it's, it's a cool feature. I, I'm a design engineer by trade. So I just kind of nerd out over people who have really cool, good designs. And there's a couple other things that I've just omitted specifically around Splitboard, Karakorum makes some really cool products. Um, so I don't have all my stuff here to show, so I'm just gonna talk about some of it, but my layering, I run real hot, so my layering is, it tends to be light. So usually I carry a Gore-Tex shell in the bag and I carry uh, one other thing I'm really excited about. I searched long and wide for this. Um, it's just a layer that is synthetic, Primaloft down, has pit zips, tech pockets, a hood, and DWR. I searched every brand out there to come up with all of those things. And this LL Bean is the only company I could find that made one that had all of them and made it in a tall, because I'm six foot two, like 185 pounds, so I'm tall and skinny and finding something that doesn't ride up over my hips when I'm leaning over snowboarding or anything like that. Um, so those are the two things I'm most excited about. But in my pack, I have wool gloves, thin layers for skinning. I've got a sticker layer, just some Kinko gloves because I have to stick with the Vermont bearded brand of uh, Kinko's with some duct tape on them. And, uh, and then I have a warm down pair of mittens for that I, I don't think I've ever touched in the backcountry, but they're in there just for safety in case something happens. Uh, carry goggles with an interchangeable lens. Got a clear lens and then a lens that is lighter for the basic sunnier days, uh, hand warmers, volet straps, uh, always carry some sunscreen. Got some Dermatone here, just something light. Good, can be on the lips, can be on the cheeks if you're starting to feel windburn, if the sun comes out. Um, talked about this in the last video. This is just a little uh, MSR cook cleaning kit that I use to get snow off of all my equipment. Tele bindings tend to get snow jammed in under the flex plate. So this is helpful to like kick that out, get snow out of the, the pucks or the uh, joining pieces in the split board. 
Um, got a lot of miscellaneous stuff here. Headlamp, just a small black diamond headlamp, uh, rechargeable batteries. I carry now a hydro flask. I don't like carrying a bladder. I've had too many freeze issues and too concerned about punctures out there when they, when they freeze. And I did discover that the type of lids, I use a hydro flask. I use this lid for it uh, because every other lid I've ever used has some sort of icing issue on it just around the, the connection point. This works really well for me for, again, I'm, I'm out there for one to maybe five hours. Uh, so these work super well for me, 22 ounce hydro flask, uh, first aid kit. And then I have a repair kit that has mostly parts from 22 designs because I have a really good repair kit with a little piece of metal and some heavy duty zip ties for flex plate brakes, pole brakes, things like that. Um, let's see. Carry a, a knit hat and a balclava. I think that wraps it up for me. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Kenzie, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, I'm actually going to unpack my pack because I really haven't unpacked it since last season. So we might have some fun surprises in there. Um, but this is kind of my everyday pack. This is a Black Diamond Dawn Patrol 32. Um, I overpack for everything. So 32 liters works really, really well for me. Um, so let's start with the back, um, which is really containing most of my layers. And I run kind of medium, depending on the temperature in terms of heat. So usually when I am leaving the house, I am leaving in my shell and shell snow pants. So I'm starting out in a shell and I am skinning in that the majority of the time, unless it is very warm. Um, so I have an extra wind layer right here in case my shell is a little too warm. Um, I have probably one, two, at least three pairs of mittens in here. They're all different warmths. So I have a really thin Arcteryx pair um, that is Gore-Tex, um, but also has a fleece lining. So that's great for the way up. I also have a Swix pair that has some insulation on the outside. And then I also have my Hestras that um, are pretty warm, full leather, awesome, wonderful downhill mittens to begin with. So no, no gloves for you? I don't like gloves. Um, I have Raynaud's and my hands are freezing at all times anyways. So I am a mittens girl through and through. No gloves ever. Um, just doesn't work for me. <laughs> um, always carry a mid layer. So this is a Patagonia Nano Air, um, which is a nice synthetic layer. Um, it's something that if I get up to the top and we're sitting for a sec, I will put over my shell. Um, I don't really take off my shell too much. Um, from there, I have a pile of volet straps in here, which is what comprises most of my repair kit. And a little Nalgene. Um, I usually just carry a small Nalgene with me unless I'm going out for more than three hours. Um, I am that terrible person that doesn't drink a ton during the winter, even though it is not great for you. Um, a little Nalgene seems to do the trick. Um, from there, Let's see, Swiss, Easy Glide Wax, something I always carry with me. It's something you can put on your skins and your skis. Um, it is the most useful thing that I probably have in here. Uh, extra buff, which I almost always have. I have um, some Julbo goggles and these are kind of a transition lens. So it's category one to category three. So it goes from low light to high light. 
uh, which is super helpful for the variable conditions that we have in Vermont. Just wait 10 minutes, it might be sunny. Um, I also have my transition sunglasses from them too, because I like to wear them on the way up, especially if it's windy. Um, and those are also cat one to cat three. Um, I have a headlamp in here. Um, I think it's pretty much the same one that Mitch has. It's your basic black diamond headlamp. But I also have pretty bad night vision in general. So I keep my light in motion um, light right here that attaches to my helmet. It's uh, 1500 lumens um, in total. And it's something that I use in the summer for mountain biking. Um, and probably the only piece of safety equipment other than um, belay straps that I carry with me is a nice emergency blanket that's always sitting in the front of my pack. And I also usually carry an external battery for my cell phone just in case I need to reach someone in my phone, guys. Um, but that's mostly for just tours around here. Uh, like I said, I live in the Stowe area, so I'm probably going out for maximum six, seven hours. Um, if I'm going on a trip and going up to the Chick Chocks and doing full days there, then I'm probably going to carry mm, other stuff like avalanche gear, more layers, and definitely more safety stuff. Great. Thanks so much, Kenzie. Uh, Neil, I, I bet you're chomping at the bit to share what you've got. Do you want to go? Let's, do you want to go next? Sure. Happy to. Um, so the pack that I typically carry with me is a 20 liter or 22. I have a couple of them. So a little bit smaller, perhaps, than some of the others. I tend to ski uh, wearing a lightweight soft shell. Um, but I need leave enough room in the pack. So if I get warm, which I usually do, I have room to stuff that in as well. So I try not to lead off with a, uh, with a full pack. So like others, uh, good waterproof, breathable shell layer, um, uh, puppy layer as well. So Patagonia, nano puff, similar. So this is definitely a, um, kind of emergency layer if you're stopping for lunch or something. Um, I like to bring a thermos with me. So I've got a hot drink at some point during the day, try to leave a little bit of that and not drink it all in case things uh, go south towards the end of the day. It's always nice to have that water bottle. Um, make sure it's really uh, uh, has a good seal on it. I got a whole house full of water bottles here, but the last thing you want is one that um, that leaks. And one of the tricks when it's uh, cold out is to actually carry it upside down so it freezes from the top. And if it's a super cold day, I have a little insulated um, water bottle carrier that I'll bring with me, but most of the time I don't, don't use it. Um, my skins, what else do I have in here? So uh, buff and these, what, with, with COVID now, basically I just put a buff on and if I'm getting close to somebody, same thing for hiking now is kind of what I use. Um, I bring an extra hat, really warm hat with ear muffs on it, wind block, um, in case my hat gets wet, a pair of spare mittens. I tend to ski in relatively lightweight gloves um, and then have the, these if those get wet or, or towards the end of the day. 
Um, first aid kit, I guess we're gonna go into that later. Um, I do carry a super lightweight, weighs almost nothing, little emergency bivy sack. I found that the, uh, the space blankets just don't really hold up very well. They tend to rip and tear and um, hard to really tuck around yourself. So I find this weighs about the same and uh, you can crawl inside it for a little better protection. Um, this is kind of my, this is probably the heaviest thing in my pack, um, which has my various kind of backup and emergency gear. So I have a pretty burly headlamp that I bring, um, some hand warmers, some paracord, uh, something to take some notes with, just my, I guess, first aid background. You're supposed to write stuff down. Uh, compass, some fire starter stuff, a little emergency saw, uh, extra battery for my phone, um, some extra batteries for my um, headlamp. So this thing is a little bit heavy, but basically whenever I go in the back country, I've got that with me. Um, the other thing, uh, in addition to my snacks, I do carry, I can't say I always bring it with me, but I've increasingly, particularly if I'm going alone, uh, have a personal locator beacon um, that I bring with me. This is a super lightweight one. It's a single purpose device. There's no texting or anything else. It's if things all go to hell, um, you know, you set it off and it goes to the Air Force. And unfortunately in Vermont, they end up calling me. So, um, that may not work as well if I don't have cell coverage, but eventually they get hold of somebody. Um, cell phone and uh, some snacks and food, um, mostly gore. And I think that's pretty much it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Neil. Yeah, the, the, the PLB, I was wondering if anybody was going to have something like that, because here in Vermont, it is you know, communication in the backcountry is one of those real challenging things. Like here at the CTA, we run a number of tours. And over the years, we, we have radios that we hand out to our tour leaders. But even, you know, even those are like the terrain here in Vermont just isn't conducive to, to a lot of communication devices. And so just last year, we picked up a couple of spot devices, spot X devices, uh, so that our tour groups could kind of communicate with each other um, and with outside parties in case something went wrong. And we went with the Spot X device because it is a self-contained unit. You don't have to ha pair it with a phone or anything like that. And so anybody can pick it up and use it. And we pre-programmed like all the emergency contact and local trail chief contact into it. So, because um, communication in communication in Vermont is just like almost impossible. <laughs> so it's something definitely to consider when if you're heading out, like let, letting people know letting someone know where you're at and where you're going to be. And when you expect to be back, like just because you can't rely on a cell phone or a radio. And if something does happen, you know, if somebody's waiting for you, that could expedite, um, you know, the chance of somebody help getting to you. So uh, yeah. just something to think about. And a map, Greg, I got to mention. Yes. So um, I guess we'll talk about navigation later, but um, uh, even though I've, feel like I know this area pretty well. Still having a paper map and a compass is, um, I feel kind of a basic for 
just heading out in the back country. For sure. Um, Amy, do you want to go next? Sure, yeah. Um, so it's people, everyone has covered so much and I have a lot of this, a lot of similar things in my backpack. Uh, I also just wanted to highlight, it really depends on what my objective is for the day and what the party's objective is for the day. So that can sometimes, aside from a repair kit and first aid, um, that can kind of dictate maybe what's in my backpack. Um, and I'll just start there. So if it's kind of a, an easy tour day in the backcountry, I'll have that first aid kit and that um, and the repair kit. But you know, I might also consider bringing a really small um, a really small stove because, like I said earlier, I like warm beverages and warm food. So I have just this tiny MSR stove with a little bit of propane and um, a small pot, and that just enhances any kind of tour or walkabout with friends when you can stop and. Um, enjoy the scenery and hunker down for a little bit and have something nourishing and warm. I also bring a really small cutting board and pack the snow down really, 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 really tight so that uh, we have a level surface to, um, to heat up water, maybe make a cup of coffee or something like that. So um, I just wanted to highlight some things that maybe other people haven't mentioned yet. Um, the pencil with the duct tape on it <laughs> and a notebook for... Um, taking any kind of notes. I'm a naturalist, so I'm really watching um, what's happening in the natural world. And uh, my friends and I who are going out together um, enjoy tracking animals, um, looking at different what the snow is doing in different areas. I don't spend a lot of time in avalanche zone, but uh, I see my time in the backcountry as an opportunity to be continuously learning. Uh, about the backcountry. So any way that I can take notes and then also have the duct tape attached to that. I'm really glad that um, maps were brought up. So I am, I love maps and I collect maps and I keep them on the kitchen table or somewhere really accessible so that even before putting the map in my backpack, I spend a lot of time just browsing over maps. And I feel like that mental, constant mental imaging of where I'm gonna spend my time, like the Bolton backcountry or Groton State Forest or you know um, Mansfield from the Underhill side, I'm always creating uh, images in my head of, of the topography and of the different routes. And then also having that waterproof map in my backpack as well is really, really important. Um, I'm not going to carry any kind of tour book with me, but it's something else that I feel like before, before you put the backpack on, understanding the landscape that you're in and maybe understanding even a little bit of the history of the area, um, again, just enhances, enhances your time outside. Uh, of course, all the straps neatly put together like this with a little Velcro. Um, I've broken my telly uh, boot buckles before. And so I have various um, lengths of these. So these have come in really, really handy. Uh, let's see, what else do I have in here? Um, Oh yeah, like I said, my thermos. And I know we're gonna talk about first aid, but I wanted to bring this up. And I know um, I bring, where is it? Oh, I've got that trick too. Um, so a really small 
packable thermarest. Like this is pretty tiny. So if anyone gets injured, I can inflate this really, really quickly, get them up off the ground. And um, again, one of those emergency blankets and a contractor's bag for making a really quick biovac to keep somebody warm. Um, I haven't had to use it yet. I hope I don't ever have to, but I'm really glad to have it in my pack. Um, another trick is I get really, really, really cold really easily. And I'm still learning a lot um, in my age of how to manage my sweat <laughs> when I'm skinning. And so some of that is pacing and some of that is just understanding my body and what my needs are, hydration, food, and my clothing. And so I bring some really big mittens with me and I, before I leave, I will open up some of those um, disposable, you know, warming, little warming packs and I'll slide them inside my mittens so that when I get to my destination, skins come off and I'm ready to go down. I can take my gloves off because usually by then after I've settled everything out, my hands are really, really cold and I can slide my, I can slide my hands into some really, really nice warm mittens as well. Um, goggles, extra buff. My face mask this year is going to go right into my hip pocket, right out front. And I would recommend, um, I, I'm just traveling back right now from Utah. My son got a job and so I helped him move out there. And everyone out in the backcountry in Utah has been really, really diligent about wearing a mask. And what I found was very easy was I have a mask that has um, elastic that goes all the way around, not the ear loops. So I can have it down around my neck. And then when I'm passing somebody on the skin track, it's really easy to pull it up and bring that back piece of elastic up over my hat. Um, so it's kind of an up and down motion. The buffs get really wet really, really quickly. And once your mask is wet, it's not effective anymore. So having a few buffs and a few masks on you um, this year in particular is, is, really, is gonna be a really, really good practice. For sure. I mean, we're encouraging people to have a ma an actual mask with them just because, I mean, a buff is better than nothing, but it's, it's not a mask. And so the reality is like, if you're, if you have to travel to you, most people have to travel some amount of distance to get to a backcountry zone. And so whether you're interacting with people in the parking lot or on your way to and from, you should have a mask with you anyway. Um, yeah. And just, it's just one of those yeah. things. We just, we just need to, everybody needs to get in the habit of having a mask with them and available to them in case yeah. like appropriate distance can't be managed, can't be maintained. And, so, and having, and having a couple of them is important because like I said, once they're wet, they're not very effective anymore. So depending mm -hmm. on how busy that skin track is um, and how comfortable you are, you know, I was skiing the other day with a buff on and it got wet mm -hmm. and frozen really, really quickly. So mm -hmm. I was glad to have a few extra buffs in my, in my coat pocket. Well, and you also mentioned the skin track. We, we mentioned this in last week, but uh, in the etiquette, our etiquette video, but like skin track etiquette, especially this year, like if you're passing a group or a group is passing you, make sure your entire group moves to one side, the same side of the trail and gives the passer the ability to like take as much distance as they want around you. Mm -hmm. uh, just because, you know, I see a lot of people this summer, I ran into a lot of people that you'd approach them and the group would split on both sides of the trail. And then you didn't really have a choice, but to like navigate through the middle. And, you know, that's just, that's just something we should all be thinking about. Like everybody, if you're in a group, just give the passer as much 
freedom as possible to choose as much distance as they feel comfortable with and don't force them to do anything that, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, we need to be just respectful and considerate of each other this season. And, um, you know, considering the state of the world, there's a few more considerations these days. Yeah. And two more things really quick, a helmet. Oh, yeah. The helmet, the helmet goes on the back of my pack. <laughs> so obviously we, yeah, we need that. And um, something dry to put on underneath my helmet. I have a, one of those thin Skeeta hats. So once I get to the top, I take off that sweaty, that sweaty hat and then put on my thin Skeeta and then put my helmet on right away. And um, I've also started carrying soft flasks. So the same soft flasks I use for trail running, fill them with really, really warm, nice warm water, put them into the middle of my pack. And um, as those get, you know, as I drink those throughout the day, then they are very, very small. And my pack feels a little bit lighter. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Amy. Yep. Let's see. Oh, I think you're next. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'll start with my pack. Um, so I've just got a, uh, Osprey Camber 42. Um, and I found that this works really well for me in the type of, um, splitboarding that I do. Um, you can also downsize this and rip the top off if you don't need it. Um, usually I've got, uh, my helmet attached to the back of the pack. Um, and then, uh, uh, goggles as well stuffed inside um, I do carry uh, just like a, a light beanie to throw on um, you know when I'm on the downhill or if it's really cold out just to have to keep my ears warm otherwise uh, you know just touring with a um, typical uh, you know baseball cap kind of thing or um, so then um, I do have uh, so uh, you know, I, I know most of us have um, bladders of some sort that we use, or like I know Mitch, for example, um, since we tour quite a bit together, um, you know, he carries uh, his, um, his bottle of water. Uh, I don't, uh, I found that I've never had any icing issues. Um, I don't know if you can see this, but um, my bladder, I just have an insulated hose and, um, you know, I take a drink and then I just uh, blow a little air into the line and that typically um, has kept it from freezing over. I found it works really well for me, whether I'm out there for an hour or, you know, a full day. Um, it's been really great. I think it's a three liter, um, uh, three liter bladder that, that I have in the, in the back of the pack. And so it uh, works really great for me. Uh, a couple uh, a couple other little things I have um, outside of that. Um, headlamp is everybody chinned. Um, just, uh, again, typical black diamond rechargeable. I usually carry an extra battery or, uh, or two, um, just to make sure, you know, have that on hand. Um, also carry a much brighter lamp, just like, uh, Kinsey. Um, this is a thousand lumen light in motion. Um, you can attach it to your helmet with a GoPro mount or just hold it in your hand. Um, I do carry a multi-tool. Um, thankfully, haven't really needed to use it. Um, compass clinometer. Uh, another thing I carry, um, just a, a nice thing to have. You know, you, everything from navigation to just being able to figure out the angle of a slope um, if you need to, if you're in avalanche terrain. Um, Going back to gear that I wear, um, so uh, usually Gore-Tex shell, um, that typically goes into the pack along with my puppy. Um, I'm usually wearing uh, base layer, uh, mid layer, and then, um, you know, dep again, depending on conditions, uh, probably have like a vest or something like that on a, a puffy vest. And I found that works for me for most temperatures. 
um, so long as it's not super cold, dumping snow, or uh, on the other extreme of that, um, really warm. Um, also carry on the split boarding side. So I have uh, Karakorm bindings. Um, and I have a couple of different tools, uh, but this one um, never leaves my pack. It's a, um, it is Karakorm's um, binding tool. So if you have hardware failure or anything like that, or you got a loose bolt, um, there's all sorts of different um, tools on here, um, which is nice to have and just packs away, stays in the, the side pouch, um, usually next to my clinometer. Um, first aid kit, uh, volace straps. Um, usually there's a lighter in there, you know, pretty lightweight, just keep it in there. Um, I have lost a pole basket before, which is really annoying. Um, so I usually carry an extra pole basket, um, cause you never know. Um, what else do I carry? Uh, Beacon Shovel Probe, um, if I'm in avalanche terrain and I also, um, uh, carry an ice axe. So if I'm in a place like the Adirondacks or, you know, if um, I'm trying to do more challenging stuff off on Mount Mansfield, um, you know, I would bring an ice axe with me and have that out um, on the descent to be able to self-arrest, you know, should I hit some icy terrain. Um, trying to see. Uh, also, just picked up one of these. So I do like to go out with my dog into the backcountry. Um, and I did pick up, it's uh, called Pack-a-Paw. It's a rescue harness. Um, it's just a, a sling that goes under the dog's belly, um, his legs can go through and then, um, you can either, uh, carry him. So I would imagine, you know, hopefully nothing will ever happen to that, but, uh, if something ever did, um, I could either carry him on the front or, you know, attach him to my back, like a, like a backpack. Um, so this was a new pickup this year. And, uh, I think on the last talk where you had, um, Eric Osterlin there, um, he had mentioned he picked up a gunshot kit um, for his dog for puncture wounds. So that is probably something I'll add to my pack um, for this year to go with this. Um, and I might make Dak carry it instead of me, have, have him schlep some of the weight. Um, and a couple of different assortment of gloves, just, you know, your basic, um, uh, you know, thin, gloves. I usually carry two pairs of these. Um, I'll have a thin pair of mittens. And then I also have, you know, just your typical fly low Kinko leather, uh, leather gloves that, that I carry in there. Um, and then uh, usually a couple of these, whether it's for myself, um, for a friend or somebody else on the trail, just some hot hands. So. Nice. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that you mentioned the, the pet kit just because that's another thing that comes up, you know what I mean? I, a lot of people do like to ski or snowboard with their dogs and, you know, making sure that you're prepared to take care of them as well uh, as just part of like, you know, being prepared and being considerate and like, you know, taking care of and being a responsible pet owner, right? Um, like it was mentioned before in the other, um, that other talk is like your, your pet, your dog moves through the snow a lot differently than you do. You know, we skim across the top of it and they're down in the snow. So puncture wounds and other things are kind of likely. So making sure you're prepared to take care of that. And it's good to see that uh, someone mentioned that stuff. Um, I guess it's my turn. Hey, Greg, I have a comment about the pet thing. I, I have considered carrying one, even though I don't bring my pet. Uh, there's been four instances, two in the backcountry and two actually in New Hampshire at, in Tuckerman Ravine, where I was skiing or snowboarding, saw a dog and a dog owner 
all instances that the owner had gone down something steep and the dog was stuck, stuck at the top, afraid to go down there. And in all four instances, I figured out a way to carry the dog down to the owner. And so now I'm like, I feel like everyone should just pack one of those in case there's an instance where you come into contact with a, a pet owner who hasn't been in that situation where you can just pull the sling out safely, bring the animal down and get them out. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good thought for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Think about each other. That's, that's, I feel like that's the common theme for this year is like, be considerate, let's think about each other, take care of each other, be ready to take care of each other. So, so my pack, I'll get, I use the Black Diamond Cirque 35. Uh, for me, this is a great size pack. It's, it's usually not, I usually don't pack it full. So there's lots of space in it. Uh, I don't carry my helmet in my pack. I usually wear my helmet um, from my car uh, and I, on the up and on the down, I have a, a really lightweight climbing helmet and I just wear like a, a really thin beanie under it or like a buff um, folded over. And <clears throat> I do that because I don't, I don't like, I don't want to have to deal. I don't have to think about whether or not I'm going to bring it. I don't really like carrying it in my pack or like having it bounce around on the outside of my pack. And I found that with the lightweight helmet, I can just put it on and I just never have to think about it again until I get back to my car. It just stays on the whole time. And so, and it also frees up space in my pack. Um, so let's see this in the top here. I put a mask. I probably carry this in my pocket someplace. It's a little more accessible, but I just wanted to make sure everybody kind of reiterate that uh, a mask is kind of mandatory backcountry equipment this year. Um, and let's see. So I have, this is my first puffy. Um, this is the one if I, when I leave, when I start off, I don't like to be cold. Um, so I'll wear, I'll, I'll have like my, the stuff I'm going to be skiing in, but I'll always throw a puffy on over the top of that. And then just accepting the fact that, you know, five or 10 minutes in, I'm going to stop and take this off and stuff this in my pack. So puffy number one, um, got a pair of goggles. Um, as we learned in one of our other ones, it doesn't really matter what goggles you have. Just, you know, if you're skiing in the backcountry, you should have some form of eye protection and you might not want them to be that fancy if you're going to be skiing through the trees or through brush and scratching them up. So it's nice to have, I happen to have a pair of Jilbo's that have the photochromatic lenses. Um, I really like these because the, I have the, the lightest pair and they go from, they're, they're light enough that you can ski at night with them, but they get dark enough for like the brightest day. Um, so it's nice to always have the right lens. I've got my shell. I've got puppy number two. Um, I always carry an extra puppy. Uh, with me, if it's uh, if it's not super cold out, I'll just carry a, a smaller puppy. I like to also stuff it into its arm, um, and then it's just, it's just really easy to get out and deploy if you need it. Um, if it's really cold out, I'll bring a I'll bring a heavier duty puppy uh, for that. Uh, I usually have some sort of uh, food with me. This is uh, just an assortment of goos and whatnot. Generally, when I go backcountry skiing, I don't really like to take bars or goo or any of that stuff because it does freeze and get hard to eat. Um, so I tend to prefer things like cookies or brownies or uh, beef jerky, uh, a sandwich like a turkey sandwich or a peanut butter sandwich. Like those are all really great for in the backcountry in the winter when it's cold out. They're easy to eat. Um, they don't freeze. Um, and most people appreciate, you know, all summer long you eat kind of like sweet cliff bars and other things when you're out and it's nice to just have like real food sometime uh, when you're out there. 
this is my my poop kit. Um, nobody else has this. Um, this is something like if you're going out early in the morning, um, it's hard to make sure everything's taken care of before um, you leave the house. And so it happens. So it's nice to have. I've got inside here. I have toilet paper. I've got I've got a couple of different bags inside here because in the winter time, if you're practicing leave no trace um, ethics um, practices, you do you can't just like leave it on the snow and think it's going to take care of itself. If you're going to do leave, practice leave no trace, um, you need to get down to the dirt and bury it in the dirt. And in the winter, that can be hard. So you really need to pack it out, whether it's you or your dog. Um, I also have some hand sanitizer and I have some, uh, some wipes. Some, uh, so this comes with me, especially on early morning tours. And you might be surprised at how, many, how often other people need it. Uh, this is my first aid and repair kit, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and this is, I carry this, this is my extra, my like, I, inside here, this is kind of my backup bag, I guess. Um, I like to put it in a bag because like if you have gloves or hat, beanies or other stuff, I don't like them. You said I don't want them falling in the snow and getting snow on them, so it's nice to keep them in a, another bag. Uh, in here I've got my headlamp. Uh, these are a pair of wind mittens. Uh, there are these super light nylon mittens that, um, you know, don't take up a lot of space, but if your hands are cold and everything's wet, you can throw these on. I can loan them out to somebody else. Uh, they're super handy that way. Um, I've got a couple of buffs, um, a white pair of gloves. These are kind of like these really puffy uh, gloves. They're like a my hands get cold as well, so I carry these. And then I have a pair of, uh, of like uh, these North Face, these old Gore-Tex shells. And so in combination, like this, is, these are super warm. Um, and they're not, they just keep you, you know, you want a little bit of protection. And then here I have a, an old like a reflective kind of blanket that's just kind of rolled up. It's kind of, a, it's bigger than your typical emergency blanket. So you could use it as a shelter or to wrap somebody up. Um, and so there's that. I've got I've got a thermos. I like the hydro flasks as well. Um, I personally like the ones that have the threads on the inside of the bottle instead of the outside of the bottle because as you open and closer to take a drink, you know the ones with the threads on the outside tend to get wet um, and then it drips and can freeze. And this stuff, like keeping it on the inside, tends to keep it a little bit cleaner. So if I'm throwing this in. Not that it matters that much, but if I'm throwing it in my bag with a bunch of other clothes and stuff, I just like to keep things clean and dry. Got a kind of a mess of lace straps. Those are kind of just always in my bag. I, I, I never know how many I'm gonna have, but I always know I have a few. And there's always at least one more pair off my, the skis I'm using. Uh, I also have uh, a Leatherman that kind of just lives in my bag. And the last items are some, some hand warmers. Um, these, I, I usually just have a box of these at home. I do a lot of events in the winter and in a, a non-pandemic year. And so I go through these pretty regularly, but these just kind of live in my bag because again, uh, my hands get cold, so I don't know what, I might, I often use them, but you know, if you run into somebody else out there that's freezing, like giving them a, helping keep their hands warm can really make their day a little bit better. Um, I think that's it for me. 
Um, so let's talk about, before we go on and dive into our, the first aid and repair items, I do, let's talk a little bit about um, some like the AVI terrain, AVI equipment really quick. I don't know if anybody wants to add anything. Most of us here didn't, weren't carrying that stuff. A few of us mentioned it, uh, but beacon shovel probe and crampons. Um, if you're going to be traveling in kind of like uh, above like alpine environment or steeper terrain, like this is something that you really should be familiar with how to use um, and practice using it. Um, if you're going over to like the White Mountains or you're going over to the Adirondacks to ski some of the slides, uh, you're really going to need, these are, these, this is like serious terrain and you're going to want to know, um, not just have the equipment with you, but you want to know how to use it. You need to practice using it. You need to get out there and understand like, you know, when to use it and how to use your, your beacon, how to use your a shovel and a probe, how to do a proper search, um, and when to use like boot crampons or ski crampons for that matter. Um, if you're if you're not familiar with that stuff, you probably shouldn't be moving through that type of terrain. Um, so it wasn't mentioned here, but we do have access to that type of terrain. So it is something that um, if you're wanting to ski or explore those places, you really should, you know, take an AVI course, uh, find a mentor. Um, don't just kind of like run up to Tuckerman's by yourself with your buddies if you don't, if nobody has any experience up there. Like you should get find somebody with experience to kind of give you a little bit of. Uh, background and make sure that you guys are uh, acting and participating safely. Um, and with, with that, Greg, I think that the education is the most important thing that you can pack with you. Um, a few years ago, I ran into a couple of kids from UVM up in the Chick Chocks that didn't have any experience in Abbey Train. And though we have all taken our Abbey One courses, my friends and I that were there, um, I almost got caught in an avalanche that they set off. Um, so it's important to have that gear and know how to use it, but it's also most important to know how to assess the terrain that you're in. Yeah. And I'll mention like, I have, I've taken Abby one as well. And like what I came away with Abby one was like, there's a lot more to know and I don't know enough. You know what I mean? Like Abby one to me, was just like, there's a lot here. I don't understand. Uh, I really should go with somebody that, you know, is familiar with the train, familiar with the weather patterns and, um, knows how to make these decisions because I, I came away just, it really sheds a lot of light on how much there is to know and how much there is to be familiar with. So um, definitely finding a mentor, going with someone with experience, like that's, if you're, if you're traveling on unfamiliar terrain, that's um, definitely key. Um, anybody else want to add anything to the, yep, Amy? Yeah, I would just add on to what Kenzie's saying, absolutely, the education, and if we are lifelong learners and we do want to have a long life in the backcountry, um, taking every opportunity that we possibly can to, to, uh, to learn how to extend that time and enjoy it to, the, to its fullest and, and bring others along with us. And I think what really impressed me the most about when I took my AVI training three years ago was I wanted to push my own edges um, to learn more and to be able to ski out west and uh, ski in the Adirondacks and the White Mountains. But what I really walked away with was a clearer picture of what I had been doing and what I hadn't been doing already in the backcountry with my friends, having conversations about what are, what are our goals for the day? What are our objectives for the day? Where is everybody at? What kind of week did you have? What kind of mental state are you in right now for a full day tour? You know, just, just, at, just at Bolton even. Um, and having um having meaningful conversations before we get to the trailhead 
And what I realized was um, as kind of a, an adventurer amongst my friends was that I was carrying a lot of the responsibility for those conversations and for being prepared. And that's not smart at all. So now what I really look for and what I encourage others to do uh, in, in your ski party is, is have those conversations, set goals, listen to one another and be, be clear communicators about what people need um, and what, what your intentions are for the day. Great, yeah, those are all great points. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine it feels it's a little uncomfortable if you find out that you you are the person that everybody else is looking to you for support, and maybe you didn't realize that. Um, but like that's a lot to that's a, a lot to, to shoulder for sure. And so, um, yeah, it's great to know. Yeah, like you're saying, it's great to know. Like uncover those dynamics ahead of time, so you know everybody knows what their role is, and like and maybe you're willing to accept that role, but maybe you're not. And so it's good to, to identify that ahead of time so that everybody knows the situation they're headed into. Yeah, it's. I think it's really easy for us to kind of get into a hero attitude or try to show up for other people or impress other people, or you wanna do you know, two more runs, you've got kind of the blue sky syndrome and the snow's really, really good, but you've already been out for four or five hours and you know, maybe someone in your party, you know, had surgery the year, the year previous. So those constant check-ins by the hour. So every time you stop for snack or a drink, check in with everybody, you know, all get together and talk, how's everybody doing? How are you guys feeling? All of that. Um, it just makes for a, a safer and more fruitful time. For sure. Great. Well, thank you. Um, so two of the things I really wanted to talk about were communication and navigation, because not a lot of us mentioned maps in our kits. Um, and the thing is, is like, we're probably going out, most times we're probably heading out to someplace that we're relatively familiar with. You know, we've been before, we, we kind of know the lay of the land. Um, we, we, we probably already have a route in mind. We, we know exactly where we're going like 80% of the time. Um, but if you're, you know, it took time to develop that familiarity. So when you head into a new area, what are you guys, do you guys have any, what kind of tools are you carrying with you guys to kind of um, help you guys stay found and make sure you know where you're going? I liked Amy's comments earlier about you know, just kind of pouring over maps ahead of time. So like you're headed up to the Chick Chocks, you know, maybe you've got the guidebook and you're like going through the zones you're gonna go through and just kind of building that mental kind of map of like the train and where things are. Um, but like when you're in the backcountry, it can be really hard, you know, to like figure out where you're at. So I don't know if anybody wants to jump in with some tips on staying found. Yeah, Kenzie. Um, yeah, so I am like the true millennial that I rely on my phone for a lot of things. And uh, part of that is I use Gaia, um, which is a GPS app um, that you can actually map out lines on if you pay for the app. So when we're going into the backcountry and we have longer days, even in terrain that we're super familiar with, like over in Nebraska Valley, um, I'm still going to take a look at my phone and see if we're following the right line to get to our objective. Um, luckily, even in more rural and remote areas, um, GPS satellites can reach you, so it can tell you where you are on the map the majority of the time. Uh, if for some reason we're going to be in an area that's not that case, then I will always bring a printed map um, and a compass. Yeah, and Gaia, Gaia, just to be clear, Gaia is a, 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 a pay, a, it's an app that costs money, uh, but you can, it allows you to kind of build maps with different base layers 
And then you can download those maps onto your phone so that you can use them outside of cellular service, but as long as you have a GPS signal. And you can- You don't, yeah, you don't have to pay for it for the base model, which is just downloading the area so you can see the topographic terrain. But if you wanna see the lines that you're doing, then yeah. Yeah, and I, and I used to use Gaia a lot. Um, just recently, I found out that you can, um, CalTOPO actually allows you to export um, georeference PDFs. So you can, CalTOPO is a free program, which is really great and has all kinds of like interesting data layers and they, you, they have like slope angle shading, things that skiers would love, skiers and snowboarders would love. <laughs> um, lots of different data layer, like base map layers. And what you can do is you can build a map, you can put shapes and mark landmarks and mark routes on it and then export it as a PDF map. And then you can use that in, a, in an app like Avenza, which is a free, again, a free app, which uses, will show you your location with the GPS signal outside of cellular service. If you have an appropriate, um, you know, geo-referenced map to utilize with it. So CalTOPO and Avenza is a great option. It's, it has, it's pretty powerful and it's free. Um, and so that's pretty, that's a nice thing. Uh, Neil, it seems like you want to say something? Well, I just, I'm just going to second that. I'm a, Big event in Japan. We've act, I've actually been involved for the last few years in a project creating uh, some maps specifically for search and rescue. And we're increasingly using Avenza now as a tool for backcountry navigation. Uh, and we're able, as you were talking about, to create specific maps for our purpose, which for backcountry skiing, you can do the same thing. Um, I use it extensively. Basically, every time I go hiking or backcountry skiing, I try to have a, a geo-reference PDF map for Avenza for that area, uh, which just gives you great situational awareness as, as to where you are. Um, I have actually, I don't think I have ever been in an area in Vermont where you didn't have GPS coverage where you could see where you were, that's very, very unusual. I suppose it could happen, but um, it's pretty reliable. Of course, the downside with using phones in the winter is, is the battery issue and fumbling with your bare hands to touch the screen and all the rest of it. So definitely some limitations, but you know, I've kind of gone from old school uh, paper map and, and compass to being a big fan of uh, some of the apps like Avenza and Gaia. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, there's there is some there are some great technological solutions out there, and like the ability to kind of like create your own maps is so nice. But like you know, if you're going, I guess if you're traveling to a new area, a map and compass, uh, nothing beats that, right? Can't run out of batteries. Um, you always have it available to you. If you get stuck outside, you can use it to start a fire. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just. Uh, I think Map and Compass definitely has its place, even though I definitely think the trend is kind of away from it. But knowing, having those skills and knowing how to use a Map and Compass also comes in, I feel like, comes in really handy when reading any kind of map, whether it's on your phone or whether it's, you know, that, like you were saying, situational awareness and like practicing Map and Compass skills helps you develop those like that situational awareness when you're in the woods. And so whether you're using technology, some sort of, some form of technology or not, so. I think even I think even if you're not as you know really comfortable and conversant with uh, fine navigation with map and compass, I think you know thinking about um, 
you know, a bailout route. So based on where you're going to go, I mean, most places where you go in Vermont, um, you know, if you, if you kind of look at the map and study it beforehand and you can typically kind of come up with a general compass bearing to get yourself back, back to a road, uh, is a skill I think that sometimes people don't think enough about as well. And even if you don't have a compass, your, your phone has a compass on it too, so. Yeah, and unless it's, unless it's nighttime, there's the sun. I mean, you can get it, you can gauge like a, a really general variant. Right, right. So that's, that's good to know. Yeah, it's good to know just kind of like if you're going into an area, yeah, where's, where's the closest road? Where, which way is that from where I'm going to be? Um, and just looking at some of those landmarks, ridges or other things that you can kind of like use to kind of, do we go too far? Um, are we in the right location? Stuff like that. Um, any other comments on in the navigation world? Yeah, um, I would add to both Gaia and, and Avenza and Caltopo and everything you touched on. Um, Al and I, uh, you know, as co-founders of Splitboard Vermont, we spent a lot of time looking for splitboard friendly zones, which is sometimes hard to find in Vermont. Lots of rolling terrain, uh, lots of spots where like two pole pushes will make it a fully connected line and you don't always have that luxury splitboarding, nor, nor is the value of carrying your poles in your hand to be able to push those two. It's not all that fun. So we're often, I, me personally, I'm going out on my tele skis as my scouting lines to figure out where I want to go. And I have, I'm, I'm skiing in from the perspective of a splitboarder looking for the lines to come back and ride uninterrupted on a board. So slope angle shading is critical for finding the nuance of being able to connect the run from getting pitched into a slight bit of a pull into a, a riverbed versus being able to ride it out to that transition point. So um, something I rely on heavily. I'm also, I have a, the intrinsic, um, <clears throat> if anyone's into personality things, I'm an Enneagram type five. So I, I'm a map builder, how I view the world. So I, I tend to spend a lot of time before my trips scoping maps, just it, it brings me a, a ton of joy to just read over things and hear the stories behind them. And it fills in some of the gaps and makes it a bit, one, I'm more prepared and two, it makes it a more special experience to know where, where there is some history and where something happened somewhere before my time. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so next to navigation, navigation is something that can be sometimes tricky, but like communication in the, in Vermont, here in Vermont is also something that's, um, can be impossible a lot of times. You know, if something were to happen, like how would you, if it was, you know, we tend to recommend people travel in groups of three um, at a minimum, uh, just because if somebody were to get hurt, you could have, somebody could stay with the person and somebody could head out. Um, but yeah, I mean, cellular service is super spotty in the places that we like to ski and snowboard and radios, um, you know, within a group, even if you get, you know, the terrain here is such that it can, even those can be, can be challenging. And um, what do you, what, what are you guys do? Or what are you guys doing to make sure that, um, what are some of your, the, the things that you guys are practicing uh, to kind of like stay together, keep your group together? And what, what is your strategy for, if something were to happen, what, what's the plan? Like, how do you, how would you get help? Smoke signals? Um, <laughs> going to be a little more challenging this year because in while we're trying to distance getting to the trailheads in the past you've had your commute whether that's a short commute or a long commute to 
talk about plans over an early morning coffee or whatever and kind of get on the same page. Now you have to be a little bit more intentional about that or relying on partners that you have a lot of history with. For sure. Is anybody carrying any kind of satellite communicator? Um, I, I do have a spot also. Um, so I have that back from when I hiked the AT in 2013 and it's uh, something that at the time I thought was a little annoying that my mother gave that to me as a present but something, if I am going out for a longer day, it's something I carry with me. Um, if I'm not going out for a super long day to a very familiar zone, I always make sure to tell someone where I'm going and how long I'm going to be out. Um, so it, whether it be just down the road to the catamount or else if I'm going out and exploring um, over by Skytop, I'm gonna tell my boyfriend that I'm gonna be gone and I'll be back in five hours. And if I'm not back in five hours, I share my location with him most of the time if I'm going out and hopefully he can find me. Uh, so those are kind of the methods that I tend to use. Yeah, anybody, anybody else? Neil, do you have any best practices that you recommend for people that are heading out? Well, I think uh, people have touched on some of the key ones already, I think. Um, you know, definitely telling somebody what your plans are. Um, I mean, for us on the search and rescue end, that's, you know, absent communication to the scene with somebody if there's no cell phone coverage or they don't have a satellite device. If we don't know where they were going, uh, what their plan was for the day and when they expected to be back, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of country out there. It becomes very, very challenging. So, um, if, if nothing else, you know, I, I think a pretty detailed or as detailed as you can plan as to when you're going and, and leaving specific instructions what to do uh, if you're not back by a particular time, even taking that extra step. Uh, because not everybody that you talk to may understand, you know, uh, how long that trip is going to take or what's a reasonable time to be overdue. Um, so communicating that clearly, I think, to a responsible party is is huge. For sure. <clears throat> and I, I, think, oh, I think part of this is also double checking to make sure your equipment's in good, in good working order, right? Um, you know, before you head out into the backcountry, especially if you're going on a longer tour, just double checking that you're binding, everything looks good, it, that nothing's loose. Um, you know, and kind of trying to minimize the chance of something going wrong before you head out. Uh, familiarizing yourself with the, your boot, like if you're an, if you're an AT skier, um, you know, how does that ski walk mechanism work? You know what I mean? Like make sure that you understand like how it works so that if you can't get it back into ski mode, maybe you have some idea of like how you could, how you could fix it or what might be the problem. Um, you know, I feel like make, doing the things you can, preparing ahead of time so that you don't have problems in the backcountry is uh, goes a long way to kind of ensuring that you don't have to communicate with an outside party. Um, this year, especially, it's going to be important because our healthcare professionals and medical professionals have plenty of stuff to worry about right now. And so, you know, we really need to, I mean, I think as we're kind of encouraging people to kind of take it easy, dial it in a little bit, um, you know, something that's you know, sketchy for one person might not be feel that sketchy for another person. So we're just asking everybody to kind of like rein it in. If, you, if you're if you have to think twice about whether or not you should do it, don't do it. Um, it's just, this isn't the year to like end up in the hospital or end up, you know, initiating any kind of rescue. So we would ask everybody, you know, generally just to think about what you're doing um, and be conscientious of this, the situation that we're all in right now 
and just be prepared and kind of take it easy this this season. Um, all right, let's see. So anything anything else to add on the communication front? I'm trying not to make this last all night. <laughs> I would, Greg. I would just add. I mean. It's a great year. I mean, we're all Zoom, like we all know how to use Zoom. We all know how to use Google Chat. So, you know, why not um, Why not meet, you know, the night before in, in the virtual world and have these conversations? Um, kind of like what Mitch was saying, like I love to get together with my friends and lay the maps out on the dining room table and have some beers and all hang out. Well, now we're not doing that. We can meet at the trailhead with our masks on, but we can certainly meet virtually. And I think there's a lot of opportunities um, for all of us to just extend our learning and extend our, our experience, just like through, through these, you know, panel discussions that, you know, Catamount's offering this year. So um, if anything, I think it's the year to, to better educate ourselves and to push, push our edges a little bit to learn more and support each other more. For sure. I agree. Yeah, just beer, beer tastes just as good when you're talking to someone virtually as it does when someone's sitting in front of you physically. Yeah, that hasn't changed. That has not changed. <laughs> well, I think that's right. There's, there's, like, just being more intentional about it this year. Like there were those, like Mitch was saying before, like there are these things that out of convenience happened easily. And now we just have to think about it, be intentional about it. And it's probably good for us anyway. Like, right. We want to go hang out with our friends and see our friends. So the more we can connect with other people, even if it's not in the backcountry, like that's, that's a good thing for everybody. So, all right. Should we unpack some, uh, first aid and repair items. I kind of want to, it's, it's after eight already. So if there are certain people that have, that really want to unpack theirs, let's, we, and if there are people that want to be skipped, we could probably skip one or two people. Um, you can skip me. I have, I am the worst person to go to for any kind of field repair or first aid. If you need a volet strap, I'm there. If you need me to use my multi-tool, I'm there. That's it. Otherwise you're out of luck with me. Perfect. Well, uh, Greg, if it's, if it's okay with you, could Mitch and I kind of tag team this one since him and I spent a ton of time in the backcountry. And we've also had our fair share of um, mishaps, uh, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, uh, one example last year, we did have a problem. Um, well, I had a problem with one of my black diamond uh, carbon compactors. These are new, don't have a ton of time on them, but um, the pole has these like uh, these, um, I guess, hinges and these are well known to break um so at the time neither of us i don't think anyway had our little um 22 designs kit and i'll pull this open here in a second but uh what we did have was volet straps so you know we were at the point in our tour and we were out there for quite some time uh on bolton trap where it's like, okay, now we need to start heading back to the car. Um, so we're getting pretty late in the day. Uh, pull brakes on our way back. It snapped at one of these points. Um, at two so of the points. Had... <laughs> at, at two of the points. You can fix you... one brake pretty easily, but when it's a Z yeah. pole, brakes at two <laughs> points, you need a little, a, a few more volet straps. Extra love, yeah. So, so what we did was uh, we, well, Mitch actually, um, with his uh, engineering uh, know-how, um, took a couple of sticks and just kind of crafted a sort of splint, um, and then we pulled a couple of volet straps out of the pack, and then volleyed the uh, sticks to the pole, 
and it worked. It got me out. I was able to get back to the car with no uh, incident. So that was pretty huge. Now, um, so we both carry one of these in the in our packs, um, the these type or the 22 designs kit. It's got a whole bunch of different stuff in it. Um, everything from, you know, your zip ties to some seat clamps. Um, and then it's also got a little piece of um, metal here. So, you know, we could have used that to make a quick pull repair. Um, also some duct tape as well. Um, so. For sure. The only things I'll add to that that I carry in mine is um, I carry some extra split board binding hardware. I put some fresh blue Loctite thread locker on it. So if I lose anything, I've got something that's gonna stick and, and hold and then some Allen keys that fit that same size. There's two different sizes that my bindings use. And then I had an instance last year where someone didn't have their skins. They're like, I take a lot of new people out and we just do some basic level things on some of the lower angle and closer to, to support, mostly Bolton backcountry. Someone didn't have the skins, cut right and had a it like worked for a while and then started totally failing and we were a little too far so now i carry the uh, i'll never use this anywhere but it fits in a backcountry pack i i uh, i use the better cutters at home and one of these bca like rubber ones because this can work at an angle for a splitboard or on a ski and um with the cutter you can take the skin and taper it down fold it over and just make it work for the short term to get someone out before they can buy a new skin or, or make a repair and that's that's totally a it happened to me once and I never want that to happen again where we're throwing volet straps on a beginner's ski while they're trying to learn how to skin and uh yeah so that's the only addition I'll add there um one one more little story I'll share on the repair side um is a split order so um I, I did pick up Caracorn bindings last year um these work um completely different from pretty much every other binding type out there. Um, Mitch, if I'm wrong on that, correct me, but um, most of the other bindings use a puck system where they slide on. With this binding type, they actually have these, you'll notice these pins back here um, that clip on to, um, to, the, uh, to the mounting interface on the split board. So um, pretty simple. The problem with, um, and I was using, it was uh, the Burton Hitchhikers or Spark R&D bindings. Um, and it happened to me three times um, and I didn't have a way to repair it was the base plate. Um, so this part actually snapped. Um, and had I had, um, you know, some bailing wire, for example, I probably could have um, figured out a way to, uh, you know, just secure it so my binding wasn't loose. Um, and in those instances, uh, two out of the three times I actually had to one foot it out. Um, so I was just riding with one foot strapped in versus both, um, which uh, wasn't a lot of fun. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, any first any first aid items you guys carry with you? I bought a, a small kit. Um, I, I definitely am excited to hear Neil and some other people's first aid kits. Uh, mine's pretty basic. I found these really nice kits that come with the, yeah, the, the 
bare minimum. And then I threw in a couple extra things. Like I have a contractor bag in there, uh, some Q-tips, some, some things for me. Like I, I've had some out of nowhere, strange, like histamine allergic reactions. So I've thrown in some Zyrtec and Benadryl and in case me or someone else has that. And then toilet paper, I, again, I don't have a dog, but I carry a bunch of little doggy bags um, because I'm always, I'm always supplying the the goods to the people I'm I'm with who forgot there. So uh, I've never had to use any of these, but I have had to lend them to friends. And then uh, the thing, Greg, I talked about this in my my last our last session. I think I have it here. Is uh, these were a game changer for me and also for all the other people around me. And those are the blister cushions. Uh, I have moleskin. I use that for the longest time. Found blister cushions. I'll never wear mole, use moleskin again. I still carry a little bit rolled up on a little pencil or a pen cap because it's lightweight and it keeps it separated. Uh, but those blister cushions are super awesome. I you can just dry off your skin. They stick on and they are a, a nice repair when you're already rubbing raw. Yeah, I, I, I really am. Those blister cushions are like magic. I've had, I've, I've used them in the past and they'll, they'll last like through the shower. They'll last for multiple days. So they're definitely a good way to go. And, and like nothing slows down a tour, like a, somebody with a blister. So I think like blister, some sort of blister intervention um, materials is definitely should be in everybody's backpack all the time. Um, yep. You guys, uh, anything else you guys want to add? So you guys, you're basically carrying a basic repair kit with a few, handful of additions. Rubber gloves, rubber gloves for dealing yep. with blood an extra Ziploc bag. Um, I always carry uh, menstrual pads and um, tampons. Um, one, number one for the ladies, number two, because they're super absorbent. So, um, and especially tampons. I mean, this is like so small. And once you open this up, um, it can expand. You just add a little bit of water and any kind of gushing blood, head wound, bloody nose or anything like that. Um, is really, really helpful. And um, any kind of, um, I know we were talking, it's interesting, we were talking about dogs earlier and slings for dogs, but I carry sling material uh, in my pack for numerous reasons. Um, and I hadn't really thought of slinging a dog to my back, but um, in the first aid kit, this is absolutely essential. Some kind of stretchy cotton material that, um, you can be making a splint with or tying someone's, um, you know, shoulder up or dislocated elbow or anything like that. For sure. Now, do you guys, so Amy and Mitch and Al, do you guys have like a kit that you keep all this stuff in or is it, um, you know, you have like that one, that bag, you just pull it out. Do you guys have that to show off what you guys are? Okay. A Ziploc bag. <laughs> Ziploc bag, yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> Mitch, everything I have is, yeah, everything I have is in a Ziploc bag within this just to make sure it's waterproof. But these are, I have a couple of versions of these and I just tested them out. They're like six bucks online. And I just like, I have one in both of my vehicles. I have one in my shop. I have like, I have one in each of my packs. And so I don't have to think about it when I go and grab it. And, it, and I've just added the custom things that I want to that. And they also come with, while this is not super helpful, like you should be prepared to know how to do this with a, probably with a woofa before, but they all come with these little like field books and there's just some basic information in there on best practices. Cause you may have not encountered someone who had something happen to their eye or to their lip and, and just some nice guidance in there when you're maybe in mild 
panic mode because you're not a professional responder to be able to just have a crew, have someone who can look at it and, and calm the group and take care of the situation. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Wilderness first aid. I mean, just if you're going to spend a lot of time in the backcountry, just take it. Take a wilderness first aid course. It will change your whole perspective and you'll just feel so much more confident and so much more prepared. Your backpack might be a little bit heavier, but um, yeah, that, that will make a difference in how well your day ends. For sure. And Kenzie, did, did you just take an online? Yeah, I had, I had taken a WUFA when I was 18. Uh, and I figured it was time for me to not re-up it, but actually take a whole new course. So I am in the process of doing that again right now. And it's really not expensive. And since COVID, they're doing um, half online and then a full practicum, practicum day. So it's really accessible. Nice. And in a normal year, if you volunteer lead tours for the CTA, we'll you know, subsidize uh, your WFA, so your w, WFA. So you can just volunteer to lead a tour for us and we'll cover it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Neil, I imagine uh, you're gonna have some items that uh, you'd like to share with us. Um, first, yeah, first, first aid and repair. What's that? Uh, just first aid and repair. Yeah, so um... I'm definitely a minimalist when it comes to repair. If I can't fix it with some zip ties and, uh, and uh, some duct tape, uh, I'm probably not fixing it. So I'm gonna move on to first aid. <laughs> um, so my first aid kit has really been a work in progress and um, I actually don't carry a whole lot of stuff just because after spending 40 years in the backcountry and working as a wilderness ranger for a while. It's just after a while, it occurred to me that a lot of the stuff that I was carrying, I just never, ever used. So I've tried to kind of focus it on things that are practical, get used, and maybe able to um, help get, get you out of a, a bad situation, which in many cases, you really can't do if something's serious. So I've got basic, uh, kind of make my own. I mean, they're all kinds of great commercial first aid kits. I typically find that half the stuff in there I end up taking out and uh, just replacing with, with something different. So basic bandaging materials, um, some gauze, medical tape, band-aids, something for blisters for sure, whatever your uh, choice is, some antibiotic ointment, those little tiny packages. Uh, some uh, pain relief, antihistamine is, is all good stuff. Uh, I also carry at least one cravat with me. I have found that uh, ACE bandage comes in very handy for a variety of things, uh, wrapping things up. And the one kind of larger item that I do carry with me is a SAM splint. Um, it's just one of those things that's very hard. Yes, you can play MacGyver and get some sticks and, and make a splint in the woods, but uh, particularly in the winter when, when time is a consideration, this is just really pretty light. It just sits on the very bottom of my pack and is very versatile for uh, particularly upper, you know, upper body, arm, elbow, um, 
risk injuries, being able to stabilize something between this and a cravat and wrapping it up and typically found that, uh, that you could get somebody out of the woods without additional assistance. So um, that's about it for me on the first aid side. Great, thank you, Neil. <clears throat> I'll, go, I'll go as well. Um, I'm also a bit of a minimalist um, and partly because yeah, after however many years of biking and hiking and climbing and skiing, like I just, there's so much stuff you don't use that you start to like, one, you start to not carry stuff or not want to carry stuff. But so I have, I have a little kit that it's just, it fits in this little bag and I use this. I take this hiking with me when I go bike packing, I throw it in my bike packing bags when I go skiing. And so it's kind of just a, a, and, and it covers just about everything. And it's just, it's not, it's not going to, in a real emergency, hopefully you're going to have, you might have to get creative, but um, inside of it, I've got, I've got some gauze, um, some of like this self stick wrap. So you need to wrap something. Um, I have a little lens case inside here. There's just uh, some ibuprofen and Tylenol. Um, I've got a pocket knife. Um, and on here, I have a bunch of safety pins. Um, I feel like the safety pins come in really handy if somebody rips something or tears a jacket. They're just, they, they can hold that back together a little bit. Um, safety pins are one of the items I feel like I, I do use actually quite a bit. Um, I've got some like an accessory cord um, for who knows, who knows what. Um, what else is in here? I've got a lighter with some duct tape on it. I've got uh, a mask. So if, if you did like a life mask, this is a, sh a face shield. So if you did have to give mouth to mouth, you have a little bit of protection. Um, I've got a number of like repair, like fabric repair pieces. Uh, and these are, you know, for me, some of, the, some of these are for like sleeping pad repair in the summer, but like, you know, again, in the, in the winter, they're just always in my kit. Um, blister. Let's see. I've got a bunch of blister stuff. I carry, I carry a ton of different blister items as blister cushions, um, a variety of band-aids, uh, some like this, the Steri strips in case somebody has like a, a, a slash, something that you can hold it together with. Um, I have a couple of like, uh, cleaning wipes, like, uh, sterile wipes. Um, what else is in here? I keep some, uh, water purification tablets in there. Just they're, they're, they're small. Don't take up a lot of space. And I've got some bailing wire that goes in there as well for, again, you just never know when you're going to need this. In addition, it's nice to have, I, you know, in the winter I carry my Leatherman and I have a bunch of valet straps. And I think between that and like, you know, you can usually cover most things. The things that I feel like I run into most of the time are like my, I personally have shown up to ski, gotten to the top of a run um, a number of times now and had my bindings adjusted to the, I used a different boot and the binding was adjusted to a different, the wrong boot. And uh, a couple of those times I didn't have a tool to adjust the binding. And so I just lock the toe down and go for it. But uh, and I've tried to avoid that. So it's nice to, you know, both of these, both the pocket knife, my pocket knife and the, and the Leatherman have <clears throat> tools on there that would allow me to adjust the bindings. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just a matter of like, you know, thinking about being creative, I think that's one of the nice things about like one of the WFAs um, is that they, they go through, you cover a lot of stuff in a lot of situations and it gets you thinking about what can happen uh, in the backcountry. And you don't always necessarily need to have a first aid kit, you can get creative, but you need, it's nice to have a, a small assortment of things uh, to work with. 
Um, and, and you don't have to have, you don't have to, I don't feel like you have to have a massive pack. Um, that said, if you were going on a, you know, these are, we're also talking about just day touring. So if you're going on a more remote tour, you're going up to the Chick Jocks or someplace where you might be skiing into a hut or out and about for a long time, you're doing a traverse someplace out West, um, you're, you're going to want to be, you're going to want to carry more and be more prepared. Like think about like, how hard is it to, to communicate with the outside world? How, how, how easy is it to get help? You know, how well do you, how well is your group prepared? Um, you know, all of these things kind of like factor into how prepared and how much stuff you need to be. And if the more independent you are, uh, the more self-sufficient you need to be and the more stuff you're going to have to carry uh, when you head out there. Um, <clears throat> now, is, are, there any, are there any other first aid repair tips or tricks that anybody wants to, any other stories that anybody wants to share with uh, about a harrowing or not so harrowing repair or first aid experience? Nothing. All right. Well, uh, mine are dog related. Here's our dog, <laughs> nice. Yeah, there was a there was a pretty bad one I a couple of years ago. A, a friend of mine, um, beyond the the harness, is having uh, something. If you are around dogs or with a dog, something to create some sort of tourniquet. If uh, an edge slashes something, to be able to properly take care of that right away, uh, that's super important. So, uh, I'm not a dog not not a dog owner, but to my dog owner friends, definitely get on that. So. So I've got a question for Alf, Al and Mitch. <clears throat> what are some, for split borders, what are some of the common failures that you guys have run into? It sounds like in a previous one, it seems like the, the, the Z poles tend to be uh, uh, one of the weaker links in, the, in your kits. Um, are, there, are there any other things that you guys might wanna mention? Uh, and just so people, if people don't know, the Z poles, I don't know, Al, do you wanna show them uh, yours? Sure. I can get it. There we go. I've got mine with an RMA number on it, looking for a warranty because it's busted on me. <laughs> well, and the nice thing about those poles, right, is they're they, they're really small, so they can go yeah. inside the top. And so that's yeah. kind of the, that's kind of the allure of those those poles is that, you know, when you're as a snowboarder or slipboarder, when you're not using them, you can tuck them away; they're out of the way. But it sounds like our in our equipment discussion about slipboarding, it sounds like everybody at one point in time has owned a pair of those poles. And I don't think anybody has escaped without a failure at some point. Yeah, so that, and that's the whole reason I got these poles. Um, I, there's only one other company I know that makes a pole like this. Um, and if anybody knows of any other companies that do, let me know. Usually it's just the telescoping pole where it, um, the, the point is you know, a little higher off center where the pole extends. Um, this one also extends. So, you know, if you wanted to go up to 135 uh, centimeters, you can. Um, but this pole is notorious for failing. Um, Greg, to your point, I mean, it's a split borders pole at the end of the day. Um, I personally don't ever put it inside of my pack. Um, and that's just because I just want to get in the habit, um, you know, just good, um, just good avalanche preparedness, right? The only things I want in my pack are the things I need in my pack. So this is usually strapped to the outside of my pack. Um, and then also if I needed to get access to this, if I needed to push myself in some flat terrain, um, to get to the next down, then, you know, I would have this, but 
yeah, this poll does fail. There is, uh, I think the BCA sector um, is another one that is also a, a Z poll. So, you know, it does break into three. Um, but yeah, I mean, anybody that's ever owned this poll, they break. Well, and like you mentioned before, like when it does, if it does break, because it relies on tension to hold it together, like all the joints fail. So like, even if you have one break, that everything you need to splint two sections. So you're left with a wet noodle. <laughs> <laughs> so, it seemed like in our previous discussion about the splitboard gear, everybody had transitioned to like a, a three section telescoping pole because of reliability. It seemed like. I don't know. What pole what pole is that again? Which pole is that? The black diamond pole? black diamond compactor. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Did, uh, do you guys have, are there any other common kind of split border repairs or um, equipment failures? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, most of the equipment is pretty robust, but the ones I've seen are for actual like total failures are base plate or lower binding structure breaks. So like Al had with the hitchhikers, it's, it's some sort of metal or composite piece that has a lot of movement in it and it's designed to not move and when something that's rigid and is not engineered to move well uh, gets a lot of stress it tends to crack but fortunately most of them aren't keeping you from getting back to your car if you're if you're way out there possibly but I, I've seen a lot of the failures are losing hardware hardware working yeah. itself out not having the right uh, thread locker in there and then also not having the right tool with you to tighten that most split borders or snowboarders are used to having a, a posi a driver for their regular screws into their board or to mount the pucks but then when you've got all these tiny components to hold your high back or, or your high back forward lean angle to the the binding that can can be customized to the like four aft direction all of those use different components usually it's a, a two a four and a five me, uh, metric hex key and not a whole lot of people carry them with them so we, you tend to see a lot of loose high backs bindings that swivel around or connecting hardware that has loosened itself up because there's some adjustability to that and then no way to tighten that so your the tips of your boards are, are moving around and and that makes it challenging to get out <clears throat> Thank you. Those are good, good pointers. So for those of you that tele ski or ski on three pin setups, uh, have you guys had any issues with uh, broken bales or heels, you know, uh, heel levers? I feel like those are common failure points on, and so telemark skiers, like the heel lever, I know a lot of people that would carry an extra heel lever with them in case that broke. Um, and I definitely have seen people crash and pop like a, the toe bale out of like a three pin setup. Um, and sometimes that, you know, that's where bailing wire comes in handy, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so. I'm on all NTN for my backcountry. I have some, some three pin and uh, 75 mil for resort riding, but NTN flex plates tend to be the issue. Um, so I, I, that little piece of metal that's more designed for pole repairs in the 22 designs kit, that, that can be helpful if needed. I've never had to use it. I've seen some videos of people with that issue i don't ski 22 design bindings right now not by choice but by budget and um and so i don't have that specific flex plate issue i actually have probably the heaviest worst backcountry touring telemark binding of the rotofella uh three rides 
so they're tanks, but they're, they're all metal. So I've never had a failure in the backcountry. Yeah. Knock on wood, right? Yeah. Hopefully I'll just get new lighter ones. Got my eyes on some free pivot tele bindings. That'll make it a lot easier. I'm Neil, next time we go out, it's, it's going to break on you. Yeah. Neil, you've, you've worked in search and rescue for uh, quite a while. <clears throat> Do you have, are there any common, uh, what's your, what's one of the, some of the most common reasons that you get called out for like a backcountry skier or, um, or a split border? So the most, uh, the most common is, um, people who get lost, not injured. We actually have remarkably few uh, injuries in the backcountry that we, knock on wood, um, that we have to go, I guess, uh, a testament maybe to people's skill and caution or good luck, whatever it is. Um, but typically a couple times a year, we will get um, people who get lost. Uh, and it's, you know, uh, a number of different factors. I'd say the most common one is people um, underestimating the difficulty and time it's going to take them and they get caught by dark um, and can't find their way back after dark. Um, and we've also had uh, a couple where people have gotten separated and the person ending up by themselves is not familiar or doesn't have the map with them. So I did wanna uh, mention actually earlier, we we're talking a little bit about group dynamics and just really stress the importance of keeping groups together, particularly when you have a range of uh, experience levels. Um, but those are the most common things. It's, it's very often people just getting caught by dark uh, when they underestimate the time that it's going to take them uh, to complete the tour or, or heading into under, unfamiliar terrain where they just don't really know where they're going and, and uh, don't turn around and go back because that seems like that would be too difficult to go back up the way they came. So, yeah. <clears throat> so having a headlamp and some, sort of, some form of navigational device to right. kind of locate yourself, <clears throat> those would, those would, make help people be a little bit more self-sufficient even though their day might not go as they had planned they might it might not end in a result and end in a search being initiated right which i think you is know, a, yeah it's well, surprising sometimes i mean it's uh both for backcountry skiers but probably a little bit more for uh side country or resort skiers that ski out of bounds that just the strategy of turning around and following your tracks back, people seem remarkably reluctant to do. They always <laughs> seem to think they have a better idea of, of finding some novel way to get themselves out. Uh, but that's often a, a strategy that would resolve a lot of issues that people tend not to do as much as they could. For sure. Great, thank you. Um, any, anybody else have anything to add to this conversation about um, items that you might we might have missed that people should consider having in their packs, um, first aid or repair items or situations that, that you want to share? Um, Adam Mount well, Trail Association member card. Sorry, Kenzie. <laughs> Very important to have with you. But uh, one thing that I have found that isn't necessarily a thing to have in your pack or a thing to carry with you in case of um, emergency but is knowing how to operate your equipment uh, first and foremost. I've come into a lot of people that 
have been getting these hybrid setups for skiing. So like, you know, Solomon shifts or Duke PTs or kingpins and not knowing how to use them before they actually go out in the backcountry. Um, so they're trying to transition. They don't know what the heck they're doing wrong and why they keep on popping out of their binding. Um, so having that knowledge before you actually use your stuff is super important. Um, that prevents a lot of these issues. For sure. Like, so <clears throat> practice in your, in your at home and in your living room, you know, make sure you can step in and get in and out of your stuff. Oh yeah. And go to the resort and skin up like inbound someplace and practice that way before you kind Definitely. of like jump into. I have this, uh, I have this visual of a, um, Cody Townsend, a, a professional skier, has done this really fun series of uh, 50 classic lines, but there's this video of him trying to do schemo stuff of him practicing how fast he can do his transitions in his living room in front of his TV. Uh, yes. And that is what I tell every single customer to do who is new to their backcountry setup. Practice transitioning while watching a YouTube video in your living room. Um, it makes the world of difference. And, and your friends will really appreciate it if you do that. <laughs> sure. I mean, I think it's, that's part of it, right? Like, how do you, I mean, I feel like if you've never toured before, you don't know, at least from a skier's perspective or Alpine tourer's perspective, like, do you, do you loosen all the buckles? Do you loosen just the upper buckles? You know what I mean? I feel like there's all these things that might not result in a, in a, in a, like a search or anything, but it might result in a big blister and that's going to like really ruin your day. So like practicing at a resort someplace is a way to kind of like get familiar with all those things, um, how your skins work, where you're going to put them, how long they last, you know what I mean? Like what, it, you know, and so that when you get out into the backcountry, you're prepared for those situations and you can practice in an environment that's where the consequences are super low. Um, so it's good to do that first before you kind of like jump into, um, a, a, tr a real backcountry situation. Uh, Split border practicing their uh, split skiing on the mighty might uh, hand <laughs> toe this weekend. It made me real proud. Nice. Um, I just explain what split skiing is. Like, I mean, I think people can figure it out, but yeah, it's the unfortunate times when you're split boarding where you need to go downhill and you can't transition into a full snowboard. So you go downhill as skis, but you're binding hinges at the tippy toe and you can't flex the ball of your foot. So you're doing a, you can't really make a telly turn. You're just making a one footed backseat Alpine turn so with one, one edge. So you're essentially skiing with a split and half snowboard and uh, it takes a lot of practice to learn how to steer and drive that. Yeah. So good to practice on the resort. If you've got days where only a 10th of the resort is open and you still want to get on snow, it's a perfect time to, go up to the tow rope or the hand tow and go mess around and feel like a baby giraffe and figure it out. Well, and I feel like with our rolling terrain there, you're often forced to kind of like into some downhill terrain that just isn't worth transitioning for, so. Yeah, and it's different in Vermont than it is out west. Out west, you do a lot of split skiing on cat tracks and, and fire roads where you're, you're doing a lot of skating and we don't really have that kind of big wide open terrain here. So it is a lot of rolling terrain where it's going to look real promising to go down. And Al and I have had this happen before where we transition. It's like seven or eight really great turns. And we went, you know, 30 feet to the right and just got over a small pitch before we came back. And you're either boot packing or 
uh, or you're putting your skins back on. So you, you learn to trust split skiing a little bit more and try to have fun with it. And there's fortunately the downfall is you just get to tumble around in soft snow and that's not too bad. Yeah. Awesome. Any, any, um, any additions? Yeah. Uh, just one thing to add, Greg. Um, it, I think it's, it's important to mention too, um, so practicing at the resort, uh, uphilling, um, I would just add a note to say, just check the resort's uphill policy, especially this year. A lot of resorts have um, changed their uphill policy. Um, you know, everything from hours to parking to, you know, what trails you can go up. Um, so it's, it's been a weird year for trying to go get, um, you know, some skin laps at, at a resort. Um, and then uh, we actually, Mitch and I had a friend who um, took their, they're not, they weren't new to splitboarding, but they took their splitboard to a resort to get some lift laps in. And they actually had uh, not a failure, but they did have an instance where there was a, um, a loose puck and that caused some issues. And they were able to get their gear dialed that way without even needing to uphill. Plus just get familiar with it, especially if it is brand new gear. Um, so for sure. Well, and it is, it is nice nowadays, like most resorts do have an uphill policy. And even though most of those policies have changed from last year to this year, um, like you said, like be, make yourself familiar, but most places, if you have a resort nearby, um, there is a path towards uh, uphilling. So usually, so it's definitely good to check that out. Yeah. Thanks. For here, that. Here, here's a plug for splitboard VT. We, we built an uphill policy matrix for splitboarders. So if you're looking for the quick and easy route to go find the full, uphill policies splitboardvt.com and you'll find it there nice awesome uh thanks guys well if in, nobody else has anything to add so i'm going to make one last plug for the catamount trail association um again uh we host tours uh we maintain terrain we maintain the 300 mile long catamount ski trail but we also work with our chapter partners to maintain zones throughout the state uh we have a youth program that puts underprivileged underserved uh, youth on skis um, and we are a membership and donor supported organization so we do I do encourage you to go to catamounttrail.org and check us out uh, poke around the site if you like what you see uh, please consider becoming a member or making a donation um, it makes stuff like this possible but it also makes you know the terrain uh, that's available here in Vermont possible so um, and that's what we're all you know that's what we're all really about so um, I want to thank everybody here for your time tonight um, I really appreciate your insight and your tips and experiences. Um, thanks so much. Uh, and take care. Bye, guys. <laughs>